This is The Playbook. Morning. Hopefully you can hear me. We are live. That's right. Live here in Times Square for Friday training. We got my friends here. We have the Sanford and Son simulcast. It's an amazing software. Eight phones, eight people. That's all it takes to do this stuff. Hey, you made it. All right. Yeah. Go live. That would help. We got Jakey Bakey hopefully joining us here. Uh, we're going to start. Where is Jake? Where's Jake? Oh, there he is. All right. Here we go. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Jake. All right. We have the Times Square simulcast. I said it was a Sanford and Son simulcast because we have eight different people with eight different cameras, eight different platforms all going at once. But we're just going to do a little BYOQ. That means bring your own questions. So we'll take questions here live in Times Square. And we're uh, blessed to be here. Uh, Thank you so much. All right. Who has the first question? There we go. Question is, what strategies can we implement to have a positive mindset? Um, Well, first of all, the first strategy is to know that you have control of your mindset connected to the way you feel and also what you do. See, the mindset are your beliefs and your beliefs. I always say you're a bag of beliefs. Your, Your beliefs are indicative of what you do say think every day but it's also indicative of how you feel which is the fuel of what you do say and think and so when we don't realize that our beliefs are actually the control center and our mindset is that which we have control of not that exists outside of us but that which exists inside of us so the strategy that i have for mindset which also controls my beliefs because I give meaning with my mindset, which are my beliefs, right? I could take my bankruptcy, for example, and I could give it the meaning that my life is over. And believe it or not, one of the biggest causes of suicide is what? Bankruptcy or financial stress. I could give it that meaning, or I could give it the meaning that what a wonderful opportunity to learn things that other people have never learned and get ahead in business because I pushed it to my limit. So to me, that's, a meaning utilizing my mindset. So what strategy do I use? The five daily practices. First, I say to myself, what do I want today? Right? What do I want today? Not in the past, not in the future, but what do I want today in a trajectory of what I think I want in the future or better, knowing that I don't know what I don't know. Although someone last night, uh, we had Ryan Surhan, uh, with the AI, generative AI guy. And he's like, well, you know, I don't really know what I don't know, but maybe AI will tell me what I don't know. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty clever. Uh, hold on for one second right here. All right, so um, to that end, if we think about what we want each day and limit it to the man-made construct of 24 hours, it takes a lot of pressure off and it allows our beliefs, what? To give meaning to the past, the light, the love, and the lessons of the past, to help fuel the trajectory, the belief of the bag of beliefs to where we think we want to be or better. And it stops the interference or resistance that we create for ourselves or the limitations that we create for ourselves. And then it feeds into what other people think, what's missing, what we don't have. And we start going back to the infinite past or to up to the infinite future. And all we're doing is working against ourselves, even though logically we know it but we don't feel it. 
because we don't have a strategy for the mindset of knowing what we want in a trajectory of what we think we want and align the lessons, the light and the love, the meaning of the past with that trajectory. When you have that down pat, you now have control of everything. Even if a pandemic hits, even if someone gets sick, whatever happens that you lose your job, you have complete control every single day as long as you take control of each day in a trajectory of where you want to be and give the meaning to the past that is aligned with not interfering or stopping you from a better future. It's that simple. You are a bag of beliefs. You have to utilize this simple technique as a strategy to take control of your bag so that it's aligned and aggregating, exponentially creating outcomes and accelerating towards what you want or better. Awesome question. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, everyone. Jake, who's going to take the next question? We've got the next question. Here we go. Let's talk into this. Yeah, talk into that. Hey, Dave, my senior. My question is, uh, you were teaching about theta meditation. Yeah. So I was doing a Dr. Joe uh, guided meditation. In this meditation yesterday, they kept saying, uh, imagine, picture the space between your ears in space. Picture your your chest in space. space between your chest and space. We kept on going to different body parts. What's he mean by that? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you can only be aware of that which vibrates equal to or less than us. You got a cool beat going here in Times Square, so hopefully it's not interfering too much. Um, understand space is like time. Okay. It's infinite. You, the majority of you are space. We only are vibrating slower so you can actually have material that you can't put your hand through. But you know that your your vessel, your body is space. Majority of it is space. Even though people say, you know, 80% of you is water. Water, the majority of water is space. It's oxygen. Okay. H2. Oh. Oh. Space. So what Dr. Joe is saying and I, I asked Sadhguru this, and I'm doing a VIP dinner next Thursday with Dr. Joe in Santa Barbara, intimate 50 people event. And I always say, hey man, how do you dummy down your shit so people can understand it? And so like on the level levels of dummy down, I'm kind of in the next level down from a Dr. Joe or a Sadhguru or a Deepak Chopra, but there's other levels down to help people understand this. How about this? Everything is space. So let's take the critical things that Dr. uh, Joe's talking about. Our minds, our hearts, right? Real critical things. If he's trying to tell you picture in the infinite thought, your brain or your mind being part of everything. The quantum field, A and B are connected. There is no linear time. What he's trying to do is energetically shift your perspective that you're part of everything, that there's more than enough of everything for everyone, especially in the medical sense of healing, that if you're part of this perfect system, a unified, abundant, infinite system of thought, if you're part of that, then you can start determining what you're doing to put it at dis-ease. See, everybody's at ease. This, the, the unified abundant system of thought is at ease. What are you doing to interfere with it? It's the premise, it's the paradigm that I comp- completely 
repetitively keep hammering into people because there's so many layers to it, right? There's the layers that I understand it, the layers that Deepak and Sadhguru and Guru Dev and Joe Dispenza understand it. And then there's the people who understand it at a different level, like, you know, Gary understands it at a different level. But what everyone's trying to say is, hey, we're all part of a unified system of thought. And to take your most critical anatomical components and picture them in the infinite will only help assist you in not only shifting genetically and energetically, but also in a conscious realm, which is only going to allow you to clear the interference, to reach your potential, to enjoy every day that consistent, persistent pursuit of it. Awesome. All right, Jakey Bakey. Uh, what do you got? Someone on Clubhouse want to ask a question? Or right, you let's take the last question. First of all, I study, I study both of them. I study time and forgiveness every day. I think they're two of the most important common denominators of all matter, subjective and objective. So what I think things look like or what they may actually be are all determined by time and by forgiveness. So let's talk about time first. Time's a dependent variable because why? The only things that's finite is 24 hours in a day. The past is infinite. I can go back 100 million years by closing my eyes. I can go forward 100 million years by closing my eyes. But I can't change the man-made construct of time, 24 hours today. So if I take, for example, guilt, worry, resentment, fear, and I want to improve my life by not having as much guilt, resentment, or fear in my life, or worry or anxiety or depression, the only mechanisms that I can utilize to pragmatically see my progress is time. How much time today did I spend in those places, right? If, if you're spending days, weeks, months, and years, and you can cut it down to minutes and moments, I promise you, your life will be so much better. The other tool that we can utilize in order to effectuate it is forgiveness. They're interrelated, time and forgiveness. Because think about it. All the things that you waste your time with, in other words, putting you at disease, physically at disease, mentally at disease, spiritually at disease, can be healed quickly with one thing, the practice of forgiveness. Forgiving ourselves. Every single religious text that I study, every spiritual text, Every mathematical or quantum physical, metaphysical text, they all talk about, believe it or not, forgiveness to put you at ease. And it's so difficult. I mean, when you have kids, it's so hard to forgive. So hard to forgive. If we practice time and practice forgiveness, we can live at ease, which will give you a confirmation that you're part and parcel to an omniscient, all-powerful source that protects you and promotes you, that loves you more than your mom. It's an amazing thing. There's only two things you truly have to practice. And that's why if someone says, what do you study every day? I study all kinds of stuff, but I'm really looking for better ways to 
access my time productively, accessibly, and graciously? And how can I get better at forgiving? I get kicked in the face eight times a day on average. I've counted. It averages eight times a day, and I still get pissed off. I had last night with Brian Serhan and a few other amazing people uh, a dinner, and it was funny because one of the guys on the panel, pretty famous speaker, he was talking about losing his shit. And he teaches very similar stuff that I teach. And I was laughing because he kind of was snappy to one of my employees. And then his wife like, who was that? Why were you treating them like shit? And I was laughing because it resonates with me. Right, I'm, I'm walking to here with my daughter, I'm walking the wrong way. And she's like, well, we'll just turn around when we get up to, you know, Ninth Avenue. I'm like, that's an additional five minutes, right? But I spent just moments where, when she's 24 now, when she was two and a half, right? I would have not spent moments pissed off. Like, it's just forgiveness. I'm, I'm practicing forgiveness. Have I ever got lost? Have I ever done dumb shit, especially when I was 24? Oh my gosh. It's amazing. So practice time. My relationship with time is everything. And forgiveness, I think, is the key to living at ease and taking advantage of the omniscient, all-powerful source. You know, my pinky has enough power to light up the two-minute drill billboard behind us. One pinky and the rest of this Times Square. So I, Bob Proctor, who's Serafina and my uh, mentor, he was in a movie called The Secret. And when I started my transformation, he said, do you know that you have enough energy, power in the, your pinky to light up all of Manhattan? That was the exact quote that he used in the movie, The Secret. Until that part of the movie, I was like, this movie's horseshit. I'm not going to sit on a couch and dream about a Ferrari. That's not how I got my Ferrari. Sitting on my couch, sick, high broke dreaming about a Ferrari. I combined karma. You know what the word karma means? Look it up. Action. I combined karma with what Napoleon Hill thought and taught me. And then this guy comes on and he rocks my world and says, one pinky. That's how much power. And I said, how can that be possible? So that led me down to physics of about this idea of space and about energy. And about this faith that I have, that I am part and parcel to the omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing source. So if I'm part of an infinite source of power, right? And what? And how do I prove that? I'm not Einstein. I only prove it one way. Best option. I speak every single day. Now to almost millions of people every day. We count videos, lives, and live speeches, and meetups, and dinners. Over a million people a day I speak to. And I challenge them every day. I'm like, hey, I believe in an omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing source that loves me more than my mom. If anybody can give me a better option, I don't care what religion it is, philosophy, theory, or physics, math. Just give me a better option to believe in that's better for my life. I'm going to believe in it. So I don't know what I don't know, but I know that's the best option to believe in that is working for me and millions of other people now to improve their life, to live at ease, 
to have what they want in a trajectory of what they think they want and heal the past with forgiveness. And that option is there's an omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing source, a unified, infinite, abundant system of thought that I'm part and parcel to. And it loves me. It loves me more than my mom. Please, anyone listening, anyone here in Times Square, give me a better option. I'm all in. All right. Jake, can you just reset the room real quick? Oh, I'll reset? Okay. But then we're going to ask a question on Clubhouse. Okay. We're here in Times Square. Right behind me is our billboard for season number four or five of Two Minute Drill. We got our great judges and guests all up there behind us in Times Square. Uh, we are doing an intimate dinner with Joe Dispenza on Thursday in Santa Barbara. We would love, there's a few, I think, open places. So please reach out to Jake or I, david at dmelcher.com. Those five daily practices, reach out to me. My books were given away here in Times Square. I sign them, send them to you. It saves me money if you come to Times Square, though, so I don't have to ship them. Uh, that's the, re- the, the real value. Anyway, Jakey Bakey, who's up next? How do you get comfortable public speaking? I see you do it so often. How do I get more comfortable? Yeah, I'll repeat the question. How do you get more comfortable public speaking? I see you speaking everywhere. How do you get comfortable with it? I'm very scared of public speaking, which I think is funny because so many people are afraid of public speaking. Like I have one person, she is uh, Miss Olympia, natural, right? No steroids. So she stands on stages in a G-string and a tiny top and flexes, and she's terrified of speaking. Why is that? I think it's really simple. And it came to me when I did my first over 20,000 person speech and I had my kids with me and they're like, dad, aren't you nervous? And I thought about it, I'm like, no, I'm not nervous. And I said, you know what? Come on stage with me and clap. Just, I want you to step on stage and clap for me when I come on stage. They're like, really? I go, are you excited or nervous? We're excited. But you're standing in front of 22,000 people clapping. Yeah, but anybody can clap. Not anybody can do what you do. That's the secret of speaking. I practice speaking and have practiced speaking until it's at a level that I was comfortable clapping. And it wasn't always that way. I go back and watch my first podcast and I think, why did I waste all these great guests when I was such a shitty interviewer? 1600 episodes of that one playbook, thousands of interviews later, I listen to myself and I'm like, yeah, it's like clapping to me. I ask questions that other people don't think of. I have a different intonation and connotation and illusions. I have done better research to ask questions that nobody else has asked, which is to me, if somebody's telling you no one's ever asked me that, especially today where everyone's interviewing everyone, you're the bomb. That's my litmus test of a great interview. If I could get someone to tell me one of two things. One, I've never been asked that. Or two, that was fun. I had John Astroff in, in, uh, on the TV show and he, you know, huge compliment, right? That was so much fun. Can I do that again? Yeah, I did, did my job. Practice, practice. I use golf as an analogy because it's, some people can be naturally without practicing really good at something. I've never met one person in the world the first time they picked up golf clubs that were even close to good. 
I've met people in other sports pick up darts and pool like they're just good right off the bat. You know, there's some guys that have never played basketball that I meet. Uh, you know, they're six foot seven, and they're way better than me today. And I played basketball for 45 years, or sorry, probably 50 years. I'm old. Think about it. Practice just like you're playing golf. You get good at at speaking once you're confident in it. Excitement and fear are the exact same frequency. One helps you, one hurts you. Awesome. All right, Jakey, we got a question from the crew. We'll take a live question here. So, talk about the spiritual, we talk about right? Uh, the band's not here anymore, but there was a band over there across the street. I don't know if you noticed, it's an answer question, but of course, set this up, right? So, I understand the importance of that. I'm going to keep that information to myself. But, my question to you is that being a spiritual, metaphysical believer, there are certain patterns that come up in people's lives uh, during critical moments, right? So if you know anybody who studies this, they tell you people from the past usually come back, usually start to see repetitive number patterns, you start to see repetitive patterns and synchronicities and things to connect you uh, to everyday life to know that you're perfectly aligned in the right spot at the right time. When you were at your worst, during your bankruptcy phase, during your marriage, when it was failing, what was that definitive sign that notice in the moment where you said to yourself everything is going to be okay and you recalibrated and you said to yourself all right my wife's going to stay in yeah <laughs> all of a sudden when i was getting the red flags from my mom my dad my best friend and my wife who were the only people in my life telling me the truth and they were telling me the stuff i didn't want to hear Everyone else was blowing smoke up my ass, telling me how amazing I was. And they were telling me how awful I was. And it took me years to believe them, not to believe everybody else that didn't care as much about me as my mom, my dad, my best friend, and my wife. Logically, you guys are all shaking your heads here going like, of course, your mom, your dad, your best friend, and your wife, if they're all in agreement that you're a piece of shit, you're a piece of shit. Don't listen to the other people who are telling you you're amazing. I started to see butterflies. And then I kept seeing butterflies. And then I Googled it. And I found a story that has inspired me to this day, and it still inspires me, about a farmer who falls asleep against a tree, and he wakes up and he sees next to him a cocoon and a butterfly trying to break out of the cocoon. So he takes out his buck knife and he cuts open the cocoon and the butterfly flops out of it and can't fly and dies because the cocoon is there to strengthen the butterfly's wings and as the perfect time and the perfect place and the perfect reason and the universe that's unified is there, when the butterfly is strong enough, it can break out of the cocoon, which is also the exact amount of strength that's necessary to fly. It was time. It was time for me to break out. And I had cocoon around me of the wrong people, the wrong ideas, and I was struggling, just like I pictured that butterfly in the cocoon struggling. And there was no one there with a buck knife. And I felt like I was a victim because I felt like my whole life 
I'd been working so hard. Nobody appreciated my struggle. I was a victim. There was never anybody there with a buck knife to cut open the cocoon for me. And here I was again, struggling to a level I never imagined after I thought I achieved everything that was necessary to, to achieve happiness. And then I realized I'm a butterfly. And I don't want anyone, I don't want anyone to cut it open. If I'm gonna ask for help, it's not going to be to cut open my cocoon, it's gonna be to strengthen my wings. And I realized I wasn't asking anyone to strengthen my wings. And I never asked anyone, of course, to open that cocoon for me. And yet today I still see butterflies and they're a reminder to me of my potential, how high I can fly as long as I keep strengthening my wings by identifying my fear, seeing what ego-based consciousness I prescribe to it, and then stop, breathe, put myself at ease, and roll or fly in the right direction. Thank you. All right, Jakey Bakey, we got more questions, I'm sure. Let's take a question from TikTok. From Chris, what's the best way to get out of your comfort zone to continue learning and growing? You want to question? Yeah, what is the best way to get out of your comfort zone to continue learning and growing? Well, first, identify the activities in your life. Mia, come here for a second. Thank you. Come here. This is, this is my daughter, Mia. Say hi. Hi, guys. And she is in her comfort zone right now. She's sitting on the curb, just pretending like she wants to be here with her dad. I'm so happy to be here. It's the example. All I right. Just, I just walked all the way here. I was taking a breath. Right on time. All right, here we go. All right. Identifying what activities are in your comfort zone and exploring what else you can learn about activities that are in your comfort zone to grow, to learn more, right? Life's about lessons. Lessons keep on coming until we learn them. Pain and success are both indicators that you have lessons to learn. Acknowledgement does not come, does not come from the comfort zone. Acquiring knowledge comes from successes, failures, void shortages, obstacles, all of those different things in our lives. So one, if we can identify is this activity one that I'm in the comfort zone? Two, is it in the learning zone? Am I learning lessons? Or three, is it in the anxiety zone? Where I need to identify the fear of the past, fear of the future, see what ego-based consciousness I'm prescribing to it, and learn another lesson to go take me back into the learning zone. And so number one thing is identification of activities. Activities you get paid for, activities you don't get paid for, even your sleep. Do you go to bed at night and wake up more tired? Then your sleep is an activity that is in the anxiety zone. And even people say, well, Dave, I want to be in the comfort zone when I sleep. No, you don't. The purpose of sleep is two things. Recovering, which is a learning process. It's your body's learning to recover. And two, accessing information from the omniscient all-powerful. Omniscient is all-knowing, so you can transcend that information without an ego or a conscious interfering with the source to utilize today in the trajectory of where you think you want to be and help you give better meaning to what happened yesterday or 10 years ago that's stopping you from your potential from flying. If you think of life as three concentric circles, there's a little circle, the comfort zone, a bigger circle around that, the learning zone, 
a bigger circle around that, the anxiety zone. You know what's happening today? Is that too many people have so many comforts that they don't learn. It's so easy. You know, I walk by an ATM and there's not as many ATMs anymore, but I walk by an ATM, especially when I go to Europe, because I actually have to use an ATM. Not as much as I did because they have Apple Pay and Venmo and those Zelle and that stuff. But there's still more ATMs, especially in tourist spots. And I remember when I thought the ATM was a comfort zone. I can't believe how fast I can get my money. I can't, like, those of us that are older, if you had to go get money, it was an hour sometimes. Now that comfort zone, think about it. All the things in my kid's life are like an ATM machine. They think, right, that anything that is as hard as an ATM machine is anxious. So we need to help them because we provided so many comforts. The average person in America lives better than any king that has ever lived from 1970 past. You live better than any king in the world. Your quality of life is better. If you look at every king from 1970 past, your life is more comfortable. Better bed, better, the average American. And that comfort zone, we need to identify the activities in either the comfort zone or the anxiety zone. Because if you live in the anxiety zone, it constricts. So eventually you can't get out of bed and you think about suicide. If you live in the learning zone, it expands, aligned with the universe. So pretty soon, what used to be your learning zone is your comfort zone. What used to be your anxiety zone is your learning zone. And it goes beyond that as well. I love doing this live in Times Square. You got a strike across the street. You got the drummer down the, the hall. And yet, my comfort zone is still working here uh, in Times Square. All right, Jake. Take a live question. We got one more question online here. Let's say, here we go. I'm a 40 year old chiropractor and I'm looking to make a career transition. How do I find what I want to do next? All right. First of all, nobody's transitioning. You're expanding. Right? So I don't care if you're a chiropractor, a dentist, if you're a lawyer. How many guys did we see last night at the VIP dinner that were Wall Street guys that were expanding? Uh, Large from Barstool was there, right? He had talked about being on Wall Street for all those years, and he expanded it to be one of the best content providers in Barstool. So think about it. If you're a chiropractor, what I want you to do is identify the skills that you've learned to this point, the knowledge of what you've learned and who you know, and identify the expansive desire that you now have. I don't want to stay in this place anymore. It's too comfortable. I want to learn something new. So if you're looking to expand into something bigger and better, then I want you to identify your skills, your knowledge, and your desire. And I want you to align it, find synergies, find what's supplementary to those skills, knowledge, and desires, what industries, careers, and jobs. And if you don't know where to find it, because I know that's the next question, Jake, if you don't know where to find it, go to the stock market. Speak of expansion, Craig Siegel's here. He's expanded from Wall Street as well to a major leader, empowering millions of people. 
Come give me a hug. I'm a little sweaty. Are we okay. live? Yeah. Playing small is canceled. Oh, super handsome. You, you sweat less literally jogging in half a marathon than I sweat walking here. <laughs> You're in such good shape. All right. Round is the shape. Here we go. So take your skills, your knowledge, and your desire and align it by using the stock market. Look at the 50 companies that are doing well today and see what industry, career, and jobs are available in there and then align your skills, your knowledge, and your desire with those industries, careers, and jobs. Look at what companies are stable today in the stock market. There's companies that have not changed their price, hardly any, for six years. Even though there's been AI, the pandemic, all the things that have happened, steady. If you value stability in your expansion, look at those jobs, careers, and industries that haven't changed. Apply your skills, knowledge, and desire into your expansive, not transition proposition. And then finally, what percentage, you have a percentage maybe of your skills, knowledge, and desire you want to align to what's doing well today, what's stable, but you also want to take a look at the lottery tickets. What do you think is going to be doing well in the future? Blockchain, crypto, AI, whatever you think may be doing well in the future. Short-term rentals, I don't know. But you can find it in the stock market. Look and see the volatile stocks. There's, if something's that volatile, that means there's a portion of the people that think this is a lottery ticket and a portion of the people that don't. You don't have to go 100% in any of these. You can take a weighted balance and apply your skills, your knowledge, and desire accordingly to what's doing well, what's stable, or what you think is going to do well. And then equate your time as a dependent variable and your forgiveness in order to effectuate each day the trajectory of where you think you want to expand to or better. That's what creates statistical success in the activities you get paid for, activities you don't get paid for, even can be congruent with your sleep. All right, Jakey, Jakey. Uh, all right, here we go. life is whatever meaning you give it the meaning is life right you're a bag of beliefs so the bag of beliefs control what you do say think and feel the meaning of your life is the meaning you give it i can't give you a meaning the meaning to life you give meaning to everything you see especially your life and guess what you have control of that meaning so what meaning do you want to give it? One of a victim, a world of not enough, in a competitive, not enough, scarce world where you are punished all the time, every eight times a day on average when you're kicked in the face, it's a punishment? Or is the meaning to life to you a world of just enough? Trading all the time, negotiating, I give to receive. 
It's a competition. It's a comparison. I buy shit I don't need to be happy. I buy more shit that I need to be happy. I buy different shit I don't need to be happy. I buy shit I don't need to oppress people I don't like to be happy. Is that the meaning that you want to give in a world for me? I spent lots of years in both of those. First part of my life was all victim. Not enough. Not enough food. Not enough money. Not enough. Everybody else had it, and I was just as good or better than them, but they had it, and I did. And I, when I got kicked in the face, I was being punished. I was a victim. Then I became a millionaire, and I thought I was a positive creature, total humanitarian, giving money away so I could get respect, so I could get some sort of acknowledgement, so I could have my mom be proud of me, so everything everybody else wanted for me. I wanted to be validated in the world of just enough for me. And you hear guys say, I live in, it's for me, not to me. It's for, no, it's not. The meaning I give it is through me. I appreciate everything I have. I add value to it. I acknowledge it by learning from it. The only way you can learn by what you have is not to have it anymore. That's not just giving. That's having it stolen from you, lost, manipulated, and cheated from you. You still don't have it. I promise you, you will acquire knowledge when something's stolen from you, or you lose it. And then the biggest lesson into the world of more than enough, the meaning I give life is abundance. And the proof and confirmation of believing that there's more than enough of everything for everyone is to ask people for what they have that you don't have. The help, the knowledge, the skills, the desire, the money, whatever it is, ask. Continue the flow of expansion, of acceleration, in order to effectuate appreciation and acknowledgement. If not, your vessel will dissipate and dissolve instead of expand. You give meaning to everything you see. If you wonder what someone else's meaning to life is, ask them and then apply what is aligned with you or excites you or resonates with you. I always tell people, don't write down everything, only take down what resonates with you. There's so much information out there why would you ever or how could you ever acquire all that knowledge i if something resonates with me whether i see it on a billboard or a cab driver or a thought leader i capture only that resonates with me uh, this intuition is not an evaluator it's an indicator too many people especially in gambling they think intuition's an evaluator oh it's going to be hard eight Heart eight's resonating with me. And after like eight rolls when heart eight hits, they're like, I knew it. Bullshit. It was an indicator to raise your awareness to heart eight. I pay attention for awareness sake of indications of the butterfly, of the heart eight, but I don't evaluate. I allow things to happen at the right place at the perfect time. The minute you start putting a man-made construct of time to intuition, you're going to create a separation or resistance. Guaranteed, they're not on the same realm. So the question was, considering all the eclectic background and experiences that I have, how do I assess all the information? So it's not overwhelming. Yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, everyone should be on information overload. I mean, look, just stand here. And that's without social media. Just, I remember being in Korea. I remember being in Korea in 99 
and this is the way Seoul felt in South Korea. And I had an experience. Times Square wasn't like this, right? I had an experience that it was like, it, it made me anxious. So remember, if you are procrastinating because you feel overwhelmed or you just feel overwhelmed and it's slowing you down or interfering with your potential, that prioritization is the antidote to feeling overwhelmed. So even with information, we need to prioritize what's important to us with a subset of urgency. Sometimes I need to know the directions to where I'm going to be. So although directions aren't the most important things in my life, urgency as a subset has now made those directions very important because being on time to the meetup, because I've done this for almost 24 years, is important. Urgency is a subset. And I give that example because people, I say it all the time, I don't think I've ever put it into a context to teach people. So prioritize the information. One nice thing about information, I think it's also representative of living in abundance. Does anyone here think that we don't have an infinite amount of information? And does anyone here get overwhelmed by the infinite amount of information? Well, let me give you the antidote. Prioritize. How do we prioritize? What information do I want personally, experientially giving and receiving? Who can I help with the information? Who can help me with the information? How best can I capture, modify, amplify, and perpetuate the information that resonates with me? If you know what information, who information, and how information, you now know what's important to you now. And you probably can figure out what's important to you next. Therefore, you can prioritize the infinite amount of information that we're now aware of. You know what's interesting? The news to me. You know that there's always been earthquakes and fires and floods and all these things. We just weren't aware of all of them. Now there's an infinite awareness to the infinite information and we feel overwhelmed that the earth is crumbling. Does the earth have challenges and struggles? Absolutely. That's why my entire life is to empower entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs have always saved the world. They screw it up with their inventions and then they create solutions to make money to fix the screw ups. They make money, entrepreneurs, the good ones, make money on both sides. They invent shit that screws up shit and then they create the solutions for the shit and they get paid on both sides for screwing it up. But they don't create those inventions to screw it up. Nobody invented dynamite to screw up the world. Right, but when Nobel, who created the Nobel Prizes, internationally known, they accidentally, when his brother died, wrote his obituary, and the way it read was that he screwed up the world with dynamite. He decided he was going to change the meaning of dynamite by creating the Nobel Prizes. The man who created dynamite, dynamite to me is like AI, by the way, or a hammer. Too many people see dynamite as destructive. Too many people see AI as a master or destructive. They're scared of it. You know, you can build a house with a hammer, but you also can knock it down. You can, you can build with dynamite, you also can blow up things. You can build with AI, you also can destroy things as well. Use technology, whether it's dynamite, a hammer, the cotton gin, 
or AI, use it as your servant in order to facilitate the trajectory that you think you want to be on or better. All right, Jakey Bakey, where are you, my friend? Let's take a question on Clubhouse. The question is, what's the best way to engage your employees to help them be more engaged? How do we engage our employees to be more engaged in our business? Well, there's two things to realize. One, engagement does not sit by itself. We used to have a better capability to make people available when everybody was stuck in a cubicle at the same office. Then the only challenge was because you forced them to be available from nine to five, engagement was the only challenge that you had. Today, the challenges are availability and engagement. So how do we incentivize people to be available and engaged? One, bonus them for being available and engaged. And then come up with incentivizations in order to indicate their level of availability engagement, like student of the calendar, lying to themselves, sales, asking for help. Those are the four best things that indicate availability engagement, which create productivity, accessibility, and gratitude in a company that creates what? Revenue, profitability. Believe it or not, all businesses, nonprofit and profitable, what what to create revenue so why they can utilize it in a trajectory of what they think they want in the future or better so instead of just handing their money to the government and saying here help all the people those people who make the most money get to indicate where to spend it or shop for what they want to help society as an individual so happiness is not derived by making the money it's actually shopping for what you want for the right reasons. If you don't know the reasons that you're making the money and you don't know the reasons you're spending the money and you're not aligning it with the trajectory of what you think you want or better, then you're living your life like a two, food in, food out. Which, by the way, most people are doing, which is why I'm standing on the street at 9 a.m to remind, remember, and recollect for everyone, don't live your life like a two. Great questions. All right, Jake, how much time do we have left? All right, we are here in Times Square. Uh, been doing trainings for almost 24 years come October. And uh, we have a great group of people standing here in Times Square. We got a strike across the street. We have a drummer in the background, but this is real. We're here to help people. Uh, we're here on Clubhouse. Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok. This is the Sanford and Son simulcast. We use lots of people and lots of cameras, lots of mics to do it. Nobody else uh, is doing it. So thank you, Sanford and Son, for teaching me about how to be the junkyard dog of technology. And they're honking for the strike. What are they striking about? Yeah, I'm wondering the same thing. Anyway, this is BYOQ. <laughs> Bring your own questions, I'll bring the answers. Who has the next question? Uh, Eric, y'all hold this. I had a question about what you were asking earlier. If you can recap about evaluating your intuition, and you mentioned something about time with that as well. Okay. Yeah, so I was talking about intuition is an awareness. Intuition is an awareness. It's not an evaluator. And so time is spent via what we're getting as indications of what's 
available or in our awareness, let's just say. Now you have to prioritize it and decide how much time today am I going to spend on this intu intuitive opportunity. In abundance, there's going to be more than enough. So time is the dependent variable of all indications or awarenesses we have during the day. And it, in its essence, if you want to have the aggregation, acceleration, and compounding of outcomes in your life, you need to assign a certain amount of time to plan for the indications and awareness, a certain amount of time to plan for what you're not aware of. In other words, God will laugh at you when you come up with a well-developed plan of your awareness. So I actually plan for the unexpected. I have chunks of time that says, whatever's gonna happen to kick me in the face today, a crying kid, a flat tire, an urgent matter from a friend, whatever it may be, I know exactly what bucket and where the prioritization process is gonna occur. So uh, one of my kids needs me, I have a coaching call. I tell my coaching call, hey, call me back in 37 minutes. I need to deal with this because I know exactly what time is unplanned. And now it enables me to be more effective, efficient, statistically successful, not only with intuition and awareness, but with what I'm doing now in alignment with what's important to me and a trajectory where I think I want to be and allow me to continue to learn and give meaning to my past to help me, not hinder me. And it doesn't take long. I schedule a minimum of 10 minutes a day to create those blocks. Planned, unplanned sleep, paid for and unpaid for. That's all I'm looking for as I study my calendar. And then I have team members create efficiencies by addresses, directions, phone numbers, uh, confirmation numbers, other people that are around the area to contact, all those different things. Awesome. All right, with the strike and the hammer, my favorite friend is here. Writers Guild. Oh, Writers Guild? Um, how do you separate activities that you get paid for from activities you don't get paid for, especially as someone like you, and I think you have, I'm sure a lot of us do too, but as you're going around and doing things, how do you separate that and where do you find That's a really great question and it's always been a challenge because I have a problem receiving. And I have to remind myself all the time that I can't give more with less. And so I create opportunities, majority of them for free. I create opportunities that are paid, that I intend to use that money for the reasons of my mission to empower others to empower others. If I did charge for certain things like companies for me to be a consultant, multi-billion dollar companies, or high net wealth individuals that want to have an intimate experience with Joe Dispenza or with Ryan or Gary Vee or whoever I'm dealing with, then I wouldn't be able to do all that I do for free. I won't be able to reach millions of people with what I want to do with that money. And so, first of all, you have to get a real good relationship with receiving but for me, where I get my greatest resolve of activity I get paid for, number one, I guarantee anything. I guarantee everything I get paid for. So for me, if I have not just been able to articulate a quantitative value 
to exceed. So the batter jump on the strike, but now everybody's honking when they're going by the strike. It's wonderful. All right, activity I didn't plan. Anyway, uh, <laughs> if I not only can articulate a quantitative value to exceed what I'm asking for, but deliver it, then I'm a profit center. I'm a profit center. I am a vending machine. You put a nickel into Dave Meltzer, you're going to get a dime out. Can you see any reason you don't want to put a nickel into Dave Meltzer? And if you don't have a nickel, let me help you for free so you can make the nickel to put into the vending machine and get a dime out. And then invest that dime to get 25 cents, and that 25 cents to get a dollar, and a dollar to get five, and five to get 15, whatever it is. Two components of feeling good about activity you get paid for. One is the ability to articulate the quantitative value, to exceed what you're asking for, and then deliver it and guarantee it. If someone ever, and they do, come up to me and say, man, I'm part of your coaching group, and it's probably on me. Some people don't even say that. It ain't worth the money, bro. Let me give you your money back. Or can I help you find the value? Because obviously we have an interference or miscommunication. No matter whether it's, you know, $297, $297,000, or $2.9 million, I am going to not only be able to articulate the quantitative value to exceed what I'm asking for, but deliver it guaranteed. And I'll even do it to someone that says, and they do, Dave. You've been able to articulate the value. I see the value in what you're doing, but at this time, I can't afford it. I still guarantee it. I still guarantee it. But I'm not going to give what I can't afford to give because now I'm diminishing my capacity to give more. So someone says, Dave, I, I need your one-on-one -on -one help. Can you review you know, my business plan? Let me tell you what you can do. Right? I do this for free or this for $97, or I know this person that can help you. But I'm not your one-on-one -on -one business advisor. People pay me a shitload of money to be that. Right? Dave, can you introduce? Yes, I can introduce you. But I'm not going to introduce you to someone that I can only introduce you for one. So Roger Goodell. Right, I always say, I get like one introduction a year to Roger Goodell. I get a thousand requests for people that want to meet Roger Goodell. Do you think it helps me or Roger Goodell to send all thousand people? But if someone's willing to pay me $100,000 to make an introduction to Roger Goodell, it now helps me and Roger Goodell and the person that's meeting Roger Goodell. Why? Because I know the person that pays me a hundred grand to meet Roger Goodell can afford to do what Roger Goodell is going to be able to do for him. And we all win. I get a return on my investment. They get a return on theirs. Now, if anyone out there wants an overlap agreement and says, hey, if you make an introduction, I'll give you all this money or this. Hey, great. If I run into someone that can help you, I'm more than happy to do that. It's a different scenario. You have to be very clear on these activities and very clear on articulating the value and two, delivering it and guaranteeing the delivery of it. Just a quick follow-up question. Yeah. Do you do an overlap agreement for someone that wants to meet Roger Goodell or would you say you need the hundred? Yeah, so 
when you get specific to Roger Goodell, I would get paid, right? I would have an overlap agreement. And if Roger Goodell, let's say that I had a friend um, that had shoes that were for NFL players or whatever, and they want to meet Roger Goodell. But they're, they're startup. But I'm with Roger Goodell in some NFL meeting, and Roger Goodell says, hey, Dave, I know you know a lot of companies and a lot of people. Uh, I'm looking for a startup uh, shoe company to put into our innovation lab. Can you help me? I'm not going to charge that person, but I'm going to take 20% of the profits for making the introduction on overlap. All right, Jake, where am I with time? One minute left. Let's just close it out. Um, I want to invite everyone to email me, david at dmelcher.com. We have so many things going on. If you haven't joined the text community, it's 949-298-2905. We'll just alert you if you don't mind. If you don't want to be alerted, don't join the text community, right? It's that simple. Uh, but email me if you need the daily practices, my books, guides. If you want to come to one of our events, if you want to come to a meetup, just email me. Uh, we are so blessed to have everyone show up here live in Times Square in front of our billboard for Two Minute Drill. We just finished filming season five. It was amazing with amazing companies and amazing celebrities, billionaires, billionaires entrepreneurs all together to be of service and value. All right, Jake, let's hand it off. Remember, most importantly, be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. All right, everyone, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Awesome.